Today's sponsor is Audible.com, the leading provider of downloadable audiobooks with over 100,000 titles and virtually every genre of book. If you want to listen to it, Audible has it. Listen to audiobooks anytime, anywhere, on anything. Audible is offering It's That Episode listeners a free audiobook along with a 30-day trial. Go to audiblepodcast.com backslash Craig Rowan. Also, this Thursday is the season finale of Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell on Adult Swim at midnight. I'm in the show. It was a blast to be on, and uh, hopefully there'll be more episodes, and you should check it out and tweet about it and get the word out, and then the little angels who make TV shows might make it happen again. We'll see you then. Oh, wait. We're not done. We're just getting started. It's that episode, not that episode, not that episode. It's that episode. It's that episode with Craig Rowan. Welcome to It's That Episode, the podcast where I, Craig Rowan, invite a guest over to my apartment. We watch any TV show that they choose. We watch it, as I just said. We talk about it, and we talk about a bunch of other crap. Today, I'm excited. My guest is the hilarious uh, improviser from The Stepfathers. Please welcome to nobody in this room, Connor Ratliff. Hello. Thank you. How you doing? I'm very excited about this. Yeah, I'm excited to be uh, for you to be here. You've been on a live version of the podcast yes, um, uh, before, and, and we talked about you being a um, deleted – not deleted scene. You were a deleted, <laughs> deleted cast member. Cast member. From Band of Brothers. From Band of Brothers. Personally deleted by Mr. Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks just... Academy Award winner Tom Hanks. (laughs) You were denied by Academy Award winner and director of That Thing You Do, Tom Hanks. Uh, That Thing You Do, very good movie. I I very much enjoyed that movie. I was very excited to work with the director of That Thing You Do, but he fired me the day before I was supposed to film my scenes. (laughs) Yeah, well, you win some, you get fired from some. Yes. Um, So I'm glad to have you back on the show in a... um, Full episode capacity. Yes. And uh, I'm excited to watch what you're... Uh, why don't you say what we're, we're going to watch today? Uh, I have picked an episode of the television show 30-something. Right. And uh, I, I, went, I went through a ton of shows in my head, thinking, mm-hmm. like, which show would I pick? And uh, so I settled on this one. I did not see it... Uh, I get, it aired from, like, 87 to 91. Right. I saw it, I think, right after that. I saw it when I was in high school. Uh, I think as soon as it it aired on ABC for four seasons. And then right after that, uh, Lifetime picked up the reruns for Mm -hmm. it. And I would watch these when I was in high school uh, on Lifetime. They run them like like Monday through Friday night. And at that point, there was a year in high school where I was thinking back and I was watching so many TV shows that way shows that were showing like right five nights a week and i was watching hill street blues saint elsewhere and 30 something i know i was watching them all at once so that was that's three hours a day not counting i was also watching current tv shows right you were deep in it yeah so i there was a point where i had uh 15 hours of tv a week just catching up on shows were already done (laughs) uh and I remember my memory of watching 30 something is uh, it, the promos in as would come in and out of commercial. It would always tell you you're watching Lifetime, the channel for women. <laughs> and it would always specifically say it. And I always felt like they were saying it to me like, oh, you, you just do, be like, wow, you don't know. have to every time. 
I know. Man. I know it, what I'm doing. I so I've I've never seen this show. I've done my minimal amount of research that I do for every show. And this I believe the episode that you chose, which is called The Go Between, mm-hmm. is was marked by TV Guide as one of the top fifty episodes of television. Wow. Ever. Did you know that? No, I did not know that. So I think that and one other episode of 30-something. So I think this was basically, from 87 to 91, sort of a cultural phenomenon, probably with in the white middle class, yeah. middle upper class uh, uh, demographic. And... It's a baby boomer yuppie show. Exactly. It's a baby boomer yuppie show. And that it, it coined the phrase 30-something, I believe. Yeah. Anytime and- anyone says... Like 20-something, 30-something, anything like that, it came from this show. And in fact, it was put in the dictionary, probably the Merriam-Webster, um, as 30-something and based on this show. And then it led, yeah, it led to the 20. So this is like, this had a huge cultural impact, but for some reason, I guess it played on Lifetime and it's very critically acclaimed, but I don't know... I haven't talked to many people that have actually watched the show. Again, it's probably for a generation, about, like my parents' generation, but... Yeah, it's weird. I, I do feel like at the moment, uh, like right now, it's you can get it on like DVD, and I think it's on like Amazon Instant or something, but I do feel like at the moment, shows the shows that people are familiar with now, mm-hmm. it almost just seems to be if it's streaming on Netflix... Then ever, like there's a period where everyone started watching Cheers. That's true, again. yeah, that's true. Uh, Larry, Larry Sanders, Sanders like yeah. everybody started watching that a couple of years ago. Now it's not streaming, and people aren't aren't. Yeah, but it's interesting too. Like I guess that's true. Um, but I feel like even with Larry Sanders, maybe it's because I listen to a lot of comedy stuff. But I, I always hear people, even before I watch it, referencing it as this or referencing yeah. it as a great show or the people that came out of that. With thirty something, I feel like it's sort of more under the radar, or or maybe it's I don't know. I think it sort of it had its moment and then it hasn't had a resurgence. And there is a weird time capsule aspect to the show. I, I remember I don't think it was in this episode, but I remember a point where a character who's uh, Featured in this episode, there's this kind of sinister uh, head of the of this ad agency making a speech about uh, how he had a heart attack, and and one of the lines that he says is, "Don't let anyone ever tell you that cell phones are a luxury," and it's just one of those things where like that almost feels like a line out of like Mad Men or like something that is a set in a period and is like right. commenting on the period itself, right? Um, this, did, did the cell phone give him a heart attack? No, I think that? it was that he called for help, and uh, like, oh, gotcha. if he hadn't been this like rich right. white executive, he would have died in his car. Wow. Uh, and but I did, the weird thing for me is like this is a show about people in their thirties, and I watched it as a teenager at half half the age that you should have been. Yeah, and I but I like found it fascinating. I was like fascinated by all these different all the problems they were going through and everything. And now I am in my 30s, and it reminds me of when I was young, even though I wasn't 30 <laughs> at that time. It's a strange time warp. Yeah, it's a real bend, because now it's like, oh, this is like when I was in high school, but I didn't have any of these experiences right. I was in high school. I was a kid, and this, yeah. my memory is of being a 30-year-old, and now yeah. I'm 30s. Yeah. Um, and this show was basically, if, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but mm-hmm. it's about a group of friends who were sort of anti-establishment during the sixties, that type of sort of on the, yeah. on the 
you know, the hippie type thing. And then this is them sort of dealing with the fact that now they're in the 30s. They're professionals. Yeah, they're They're like suburban. Yeah. And sort of like Reagan and first George Bush uh, presidential eras. George Bush Sr. George Bush Sr. Yeah. H.W. Poppy Bush. Poppy. Uh, yep. Poppy Bush. Poppy as opposed to W. Poppy. They all have cute nicknames. The they should. Ma- they should. They made a movie called W. Why didn't they make, make one called Poppy? Oh, they should. They, I mean, it would be a bad movie, but I, I'd watch it. Yeah. I like biopics. Oliver Stone's Poppy. Yeah, that would be. If he made that, he should make that now about George H.W. Bush's life now. Yeah. The most worthless. There's a lot movie. of crying. I, yeah. I think he cry- every time I read about George H. W. Bush, he's crying now. There must be a yeah. side effect of some. Uh, I think it's his, his son. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just yeah. oh god, oh. oh god. So, um, I already said that this was one of the top fifty episodes of anything ever. But why did you specifically pick this one? Um, well, the interesting thing is like so many so many TV shows. Like it's really. So many TV shows uh, revolve around like a job, a profession. Like you have cop shows, lawyer shows, doctor shows. Like it's a really solid structure for like bringing in new characters, new kinds of stories. If you're working with people, and and this thirty something was about like a a kind of disparate group of like friends and their wives, and then the wives' friend, and uh, but it kind of the one you would follow the different jobs of the characters, but the one thing that it really sort of caught fire was the two sort of main characters worked in advertising. And so, and that wasn't a job that prior to Mad Men, that wasn't a job. I'm not aware of any TV show prior to this that looked at the advertising industry as like, as the, 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 the vocation for drama. Um, and in the first two seasons of the show, Michael and Elliot ran their own like small sort of boutique ad agency. And there's a really dramatic, uh, you watch their their business fail. By the end of the second season, mm-hmm. you just see them deal with like they have a business, it's everything they want, and then it fails. And then they go to work for a bigger ad agency, DAA. DAA, um, and uh, it's run by this very uh, Machiavellian uh, character named Miles Drentel, uh, who's my favorite character on the series. I think it's a great performance um, by an actor named David Clennon. And who actually in real life, David Clennon is this total, I only realized this recently, he's this total hippy dippy left wing uh, activist. Uh, I think recently he was in the news because he was protesting uh, Zero Dark Thirty. He was like leading the charge for like, do not nominate this movie, do not go see it. But the character he plays in this is like the worst case scenario sort of 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 Reagan. He's like the, the... Reagan era, like greed and money greed is good. The Greco, what's yeah, like a Gordon Gecko, Gordon, Gordon Greco, as I almost Gordon, said, Gordon Greco Roman, yeah, Gordon uh, Greco Roman wrestling. Um, and he's got a very, he has like this, uh, very, uh, uh like stubbly gray, like very cropped beard. Oh, yeah, I know those, and beards. it's just a, and and this is, I there's an arc to the show. We're going to watch the first half of a two-parter that ended the third season because I remember it being the the second half is good, but I remember the first half just feeling like exciting, like it was like a thriller. Um and it is sort of about whether Michael and Elliot are going to make a move to try to uh take over DAA. Well, over yeah. Greco. 
Yeah, over over Gordon Greco. Um, and uh, do you feel validated at all that you didn't know that this is one of the top fifty episodes of television ever, and you loved it? Isn't that pretty I, good? That does feel good. It does. I mean, I'm not surprised because it is one of those things like. Like, if this was Star Trek The Next Generation, I would think this would be, like, the best of both worlds. Like, the Borg episode where Picard... Like, it's one of those, like, touchstone episodes right. that, like, everyone got excited about. And and this was... I think 30-something was nominated for an Emmy all four seasons. Mm-hmm. Like it was nominated for Best Drama Emmy. And this is the one that stuck in my head as, like, oh, that one that was, like, huge things were going to happen. I remember there were, I remember there was a different kind of musical score for this episode. Well, they like, put I remember it all in there. They really I had a cassette it. tape of the music from the TV show 30, Wait, 30 something. Did you you bought a cassette I tape? I bought a cassette of, tape the soundtrack to 30 something. Am I correct in guessing that it's probably not like pop songs it's like back it's like scores? It, I think it's well like a lot of the score <laughs> a lot of, like this is what as a high school student I would drive around uh, and I had this cassette tape um I remember it had the theme song, which, and then a lot of the scores to 37, I remember it being like sensitive guitar, like something sad would happen, they would go ding dong, like a little guitar. <laughs> but I remember there was the song, uh, I'm Gonna Love You, Come Rain or Come Shine was on it. Okay. And I think there were a couple of like standards on it that had been featured on the show. But I also remember, that's why I remember the music from this episode, because it also, it had the music from the from this episode, and it was like this uh, uh, plunking kind of... Uh, Thriller music. Ooh, I'm excited for that. I can't believe that you listened (laughs) to the soundtrack on cassette. I'm going to say I was one of the few teenagers who bought the cassette soundtrack to 30 seconds. Yeah, I'd say you're probably one of like 10. Yeah. I mean, teenagers to buy it. I should try and round up the other nine. You should get a a Facebook group of just teenagers who bought this tape. Well, I'll tell you, I'll just. I'll name check another show that I was obsessed with at the time that was also on Lifetime that would have been a show I might have picked was a show called The Days and Nights of Molly Dodd, okay. which was the one of the first dramedies. Uh, I feel like I've heard of that. It was on NBC at first, and I think they tried it out as part of like the Cosby show, like Thursday mm-hmm. Night Lineup, failed. And it was like, but I remember it was set in New York. It was all shot in New York, and it was... Uh, but it's you can't find it anywhere. Uh, we'll find it. There was a YouTube channel that someone painstakingly put all of the episodes up a couple of years ago, and and then YouTube took it all down. You got to name it something weird. You yeah, can't, you can't, and you, and reverse the you image. Gotta re- reverse everything. God, we got to get past those YouTubes. So I yeah, there was a period. I mean, I watched other normal. Do you have any friends that watch these things too? No, no. I mean, there were other shows that I could bond with. But with this, it was like you were on your own. And yeah. You sort of like you probably. I didn't talk have... to. I've never talked to anyone about Thirty Something. <laughs> like I don't. I don't think I've ever had a conversation with another person who watched Thirty Something because I. I may have showed. I had a, a VHS tape of just the Miles Drentel episodes, like the key ones, including this two parter. And I remember I would show those to some people. How did you you bought those specific VHS? No, no, I taped taped them off Lifetime. There was a certain part where there was a marathon. So you tape over the non-Greco episodes? I would. I just like paid attention. I would like tape an episode, and if it wasn't a a, a, a Gordon Greco episode, (laughs) then I would uh, not keep that one. Okay, and. And I would show them to people like, here's a six-hour movie about this horrible man who ran an ad agency in the 80s. And people would like those. But then, you know, there's also episodes of the show, you know, there's a 
there'll be an episode about like Gary, the the college professor who's still kind of the most hippie-ish of them. And those episodes were always strong, but I don't know that I could go back and rewatch the the other characters. You like, need that Reagan edge. Yeah, I need the I need the ad agency. I need the, the well, you know, it's funny because this episode I think uh is probably kind of most similar to uh, do you watch Mad Men? I do. Did you watch this week's? This week's, and this is this episode of it's that episode will probably air in a couple weeks. Yeah, but this uh, last episode, which is when they spoiler alert, if you're not watching, they merged with uh, Peggy's uh, uh, ad agency. It was my favorite episode in probably like a season and a half. Yeah, and it was kind of like there was another episode. Like it kind of reminded me of the one a couple of years ago where they where they left. They or, left. Yeah. This episode is kind of like that. I'm into in, it in that sense. That's what I like about Mad Men is that I mean, it's fun when they do those when things. They where do like the big thi- things happen to the agency. Yeah, and when they the inner workings of how it works at the agency are more interesting to me than a lot of the other elements of the show. Yeah, I like it. Like I love it whenever they have scenes where it's like them dealing with the client, and the client's like, "Oh, can you put the yeah. picture of the moon in it?" To- yeah, totally. Uh, it is so because I feel like. As a creative person, I feel like even if you don't specifically relate to the skill set that Don Draper has, you have that feeling of like, oh, like, just let him do his thing. Yeah. You know, like, he's good at it. His ads will be really cool, and you guys don't know what you're doing, you know. Just chill uh, out, company. Yeah. Um, so, with that being said, why don't – with that being said, is usually something that means that we just talked about. <laughs> with that being said, let's watch Mad Men. No. So, um, saying all of that – Having said all of those <laughs> various Saying things. all those sentences before. Let's watch um, The Go-Between. And is there anything I should specifically be watching out for when, when, we're, when I'm watching this episode? I don't know. I've already mentioned the musical score. <laughs> That'll be very apparent from the beginning, I think. Um the other thing is I didn't realize – these two episodes – I don't know how this works exactly. These two episodes are called I think the Towers of the Tower of Zenith. OK. But then I only just discovered when I was picking this episode that part one and part two are listed as the go-between and then Samurai Admin is part two. I think they they thought you know the, the t- ten teenagers who own this would be yeah. confused. I, I'll just say if – uh, if you were to look at my VHS tape, I listed it as the Tower the Tower of Zenith Part 1 and 2. And that's how we'll call them from now on. Okay. So we're watching the go-between, but it's really the Tower of Zenith. Yeah. And also another thing I should specify for people who aren't familiar with 30-something is it is not capitalized. It is one word. Sometimes it's referred to as the capital T, but... That, but that's wrong. It's E. Cummings style, lowercase, pretentious. Pretentious. One word. One word. All right. Let's check out 30-something. Look, I know it's bad. And I know I haven't done right by you. I wasn't supposed to play like this. You're telling me. Well, protect yourself, Armin. Protect myself against what? I mean, what's the worst Miles can do, really? He, he can't kill me. He can't hurt my kids. He's got us all bamboozled, Michael. He acts like a king, so we think he is one, but he's not. He's just a guy we work for. Yeah. Okay. Hello, Gus. Michael, have you unpacked yet? Uh, no. Good. Bob Spano liked what you said at dinner. He wants to talk to you about the corporate identity campaign. 
What, he wants me to come back up to New York? He wants you to come out to Minneapolis. He does? He does. Gus, why can't we do this as a conference call with Miles? It would save time and money. Bob would rather do this in person. And we don't think it's something to concern Miles with at this point. Why? Because it's my turn to buy the drinks. Reminder that today's sponsor is Audible.com, the leading provider of downloadable audiobooks with over 100,000 titles and virtually every genre of book. If you want to listen to it, Audible has it. Listen to audiobooks anywhere, anytime, on anything. And the nice thing is that Audible is offering It's That Episode listeners a free audiobook, along with a 30-day trial. So go to www.audiblepodcast.com backslash Craig Rowan. And I just went there, and uh, one of the characters in this episode of 30-something, and we'll be talking about it, is played by Paul Dooley. He plays Bob Spano in this episode. He narrates a book on uh, Audible. If you go there, it's called The Mighty Casey, The Twilight Zone Radio Dramas. Uh, uh, Paul Dooley of Rob Spano, Bob Spano fame, is on a radio drama about the Twilight Zone. It's written by Rod Serling, so you know it's going to be good. So go there, check that out, or check out one of 100,000 books. Do whatever you want. Have a good time. Just go to www.audiblepodcast.com backslash Craig Rowan. That's C-R-A-I-G. R-O-W-I-N. And uh, let's get back to the episode. All right. Tower of Zenith Part 1. Part 1. A.K.A. The Go-Between. That's right. We just watched it. Um, I think I took the least amount of notes I've ever taken on a while watching an episode. Really? Well, I think it's because I'm trying to figure out why. But I usually take notes during when watching an episode. Yeah. But I think it's because... Partially, it's a it's a slower drama, so yeah. it wasn't like a lot of like huge moments of, you know, where it's like, whoa, this is crazy, or like, yeah, it was sort of just taking in the whole episode, right? Yeah, and it's uh, probably the biggest the biggest difference uh, between it and let's say a show that would be made now mm-hmm. would just be the pace at which information is conveyed. Yes. Uh, I, it, it builds towards something that we sort of glean pretty early on in the episode, but the characters catch on to it very gradually. And so I think part of it is watching it on its own and me saying, this is an episode about right. Michael and Elliot are going to do this as opposed to at the, at the end of three years of watching their careers. Like it is a big move that happens, uh, in the arc of the series. Uh, and so it's a big thing for the characters to absorb. But to be watching it now as like a standalone thing, it seems pretty early. Like, oh, they want Michael to run. Yeah. <laughs> they want to take this uh, company wants to take over to buy DAA. They have um, a big there, There's basically this is the definitely the TV show where the words, the name Bob Spano has Bob been Spano. was mentioned more than that name has ever been. I mean, yeah. They loved saying Bob Spano. Spano. This is the, the ad agency, or I think earlier that season, they got a big account called Minnesota Brands. And Bob Spano, uh, played by the actor Paul, Paul Dooley, uh, is the head of Bob Spano, the head of this. And I think every character in the show, including, I think the most ridiculous example was when the guy who works directly with Bob Spano who's just met with him, yeah. calls up and says, Bob Spano was very impressed with you. There'd be no reason for him not to call up and say, 
Bob really liked you. Yeah. Like, they've just had a dinner together. Like, there's an edict that he's only al- allowed to be called by his full name or yeah. something like that. But, like, they also... No, well, they also did... They called him Robert Spano. It almost felt like they knew, like... I imagine the first draft of the script, they're like, you guys, we got him saying Bob Spano a hundred times. Let's change it so sometimes they'll say Mr. Spano, Robert Spano. I imagine it was someone's job to go through and, like... But nobody said, like, let's take it out a little bit. <laughs> yeah. No, I love the amount of times it's said... Just change it up a slight, slight. Yeah, ah, I'm gonna meet Bob Spano. I think we heard his name multiple times before we saw him, and that makes sense. You want to, you want to build up the, you want to build up. Who, this is an important character we're meeting. But after we've met him, everyone keeps saying his name. And also, the, so so again, the, these guys. Uh, what are the two main guys in this episode? Michael Mike, and Elliot. Michael and Elliot work at this DAA, their ad agency, which is run, uh, run by uh, Gordon Greco, and uh, and they meet with this guy. Yeah, when they keep saying they're going to meet Bob Spano, you'd think he would be like this really impressive guy too. Yeah, and when you see him, he's just this character actor that you recognize a million i mean he's yeah. just a really low-key character did you look him up while we were or i haven't looked you just him up. know you just know his name the, uh, yeah the i know his, i know paul dooley and i it's funny i can't think other than that i know that he has a tiny little cameo in waiting for guffman he's stand he's a guy standing out in front of the cornfield talking about how the aliens probed him right uh but I feel like in the '90s, he was in a ton. He of was stuff. everybody's dad. Like if a TV show needed a dad, do we dare IMDb? Let's him IMDb just him. because I feel like he, in my brain, I'm like I know a million things. That I feel like he has to have been at some point. I feel like on a Star Trek where he had a lot of uh, uh, makeup. Like I feel like he was one of those people who'd be like a Ferengi or something on a Mm-mm. on a on a Deep Space Nine or something, and he'd come in and be or a Klingon. What's his name? Paul Dooley. Paul Dooley. D O O L E Y. Um, he's yeah. He he just looks like he was in. Uh, oh, look at that picture of him. He was in Cars. He was in Runaway Bride, Sixteen Candles. That's what he. I think he was the dad in Sixteen Candles. Yeah, like once he's one of those actors that once he like settled into those dad roles, he could be a dad. He's been in, in one hundred and seventy four things. He was in Hot in Cleveland. That was the first thing I saw popped up there. That was so the like first thing he was in. Was in Hot in Cleveland. He was in. <laughs> uh, for, he was in Curb Your Enthusiasm as Cheryl's dad. Oh, was that, that in was that in um Beloved Aunt? Uh was he in that episode? I the one know. where uh Larry there's the typo in the um the typo in the in the bereavement note. They're really happy that Larry gets him in and and uh, there's a typo that says loving wife, beloved cunt. Right. <laughs> I feel like he was in that episode. I feel like that might have been the episode where he's the one who like yells that at Larry, maybe. Yeah, he, he uh that that's I think that might be true. Oh, I got it. Deep Space Nine. <laughs> he was in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. What was he in the wire? He was in the wire? Um where did you see that? No, you're thinking of Duckman he was in. Oh, oh, I think he meant the TV show The Wire. I don't know what. Yeah, no, I see The Wire there, but I don't. He's no, always, that's a different The Wire. That's 1994. Oh no, that's an episode of Deep Space Nine called The Wire. Yes. All right. And he was in. Uh, in I was going to say he had a very exotic name for a character on The Wire. I was trying to imagine what. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's he was also in My So Called Life. Probably as someone's grandpa or dad. Yeah. Let's just the rest of this episode is just going to be us naming off um, L.A. Things Law. He's in, and he he'll be on a Tales from the thing. Crypt. My boyfriend's back. Uh, Mother of the Bride, the Ben Stiller show. 
God, this is the most anybody's ever talked about Paul Dooley. He was in the Wonder Years one episode as Pops. Ooh, I think in the Ben Stiller show, he might have been in the um, Few Good Men uh, spoof. No. No, he wasn't. That's a different, older character actor. Um, well, regardless... I apologize, I apologize to listeners that I got that Ben I, Stiller show detail wrong. I apologize to listeners who are, who are also currently looking up Paul Dooley, and I'm sorry that we missed a hundred of the other things that he's been in, but he's been I'm going to tweet them all out. Uh, once this podcast goes live, I'm going to tweet out all of Paul would, Dooley's credits. So follow, follow Connor on uh, on Connor Twitter. Ratliff on Twitter. It's going to be quite a day. It's going to be a really... 174 tweets. I'll do it. Um, so, yeah, he plays Bob Spano. Spano? Spano? Spano. And, Ken uh, Olin, the main actor in this, who I'm a big fan of Ken Olin. He was on the show Hill Street Blues, and he played a, a, a character on that show uh, named uh, de- uh, Detective, uh, I think it was Detective Harry Garibaldi. And... It wasn't like he was on like for a season or two, but I just remember thinking like he's really natural. Like the the one note that I wrote in this whole thing, I wrote Ken Olin's wet eyes. Whoa! Did you notice how wet his eyes could get in scenes? No, I didn't notice his. Wet like eyes. whenever his character feels something, like I that can't be something that they do as an effect. Right? I don't know. Well, it's funny because I just watched something else with very wet eyes, which was I watched Casablanca. And uh, Ing, uh, what's her name? Uh, yeah, Ingrid Bergman. Yeah, has the wettest eyes I've ever seen. I wonder if in the old days. I feel like in the old days they did something. I think they must have because <laughs> for her they they were like so wet. It was like like a sheen over like a film almost. Over it's su- I mean it's such a whenever you have a close up in anything of people's eyes and there's just got that little extra layer of moisture on the eye. It just conveys something. Like it really does look like they're feeling something. Yeah. Like it's a really at the end in one of those last scenes where he was like when uh, Elliot was saying that oh, he might have to quit. Yeah. So and it was, just yeah cuts back to him and he had the wettest eyes. Just super wet eyes. They just look so. It's amazing that that it just looks so emotional. So let so let's give a little bit. So Bob uh, Bob Spano, Spano. Uh, basically is is. Um, Trying to court uh, Michael, yeah, uh, uh, and and trying to get him as an go-between, if you will, which is not the original episode, na- mm. episode name, um, to tell uh, Gordon Greco that they want to be that uh, the Min- Minnesota Brands wants to buy DAA, the ad agency that they has been doing their advertising and like have their own ad agency that they own as part of their empire, right? And then on the other end, Elliot, who um, uh, was Played one some of the, one of the guys on uh, Studio Sixty on the Sunset Strip, uh, Timothy Busfeld. Um, he he uh, is sort of slipping at work. Basically, his wife um, has cancer, mm-hmm. and they're dealing with that. And then he's just sort of not into the way that the uh, that. Gordon Greco is running things because he's very, as you said, Machiavellian. He sort of pits people against each other. He rips creative teams apart and all that. And and, and the story, uh, uh, the arc of the show sort of is that Michael and Elliot, when they ran their own company, they were best friends and they were equals. And then when they got hired to work for DIA, Miles Drentel took a liking to Michael, promoted him, split them up as a pair, and made Michael like his like assistant. Uh, and... Elliot has been floundering in part just because Miles doesn't like him. Yeah, and um, and and uh, Miles uh, Gordon Greco sort of says a speech to 
Elliot uh, saying, you know, uh, he's saying that he's going to rip another creative team apart, and and Elliot saying, I know I don't agree with this. They're a great team, you know. Some people sometimes people foul out, and and they just need another chance. And he says, well, th- you know, that doesn't matter to me. And then he goes on to say, you know, all partnerships, you got to split them apart to see which one's weaker and which one's holding the other guy up. And he was obviously talking about yeah. Elliot. I thought that was a, a really good scene. Yeah, I I I watching this again, I rem- it, got the feeling of the, I feel like they wrote the Miles Rentel character he's you know on the one hand it's very a very boldly written character like it's a very like stark contrast to every the way every other character on the show is written uh but it's it's really um watching it now especially uh watching it and thinking of like the way this compares to Mad Men, like the other show about advertising. It's interesting how almost if you take Miles Drentel and the Michael character, it's almost like if you combined them and added more sex to it, you'd have Don Draper. Right. Because there was a point where we see a, a, a kind of abstract car commercial. Yes. And then they're kind of lamenting, oh, in the old days you used to be able to just sell a car with a pretty woman or something. And then Miles Drentel says, we no longer sell cars. We sell the idea of a car. That fell, That feels very Don Draper. Yeah. I, even when he said it, in my head, before he said it, I knew he was going to say something about idea because of probably the language I've learned through Mad Men. Yeah. Except when you hear it through Miles, it feels – like when you hear it through Don Draper, it feels inspired and yes, poetic. With, with him, it feels very callous and cold. It's and dark cool. and yeah. empty. Also, the ad that they showed was terrible. Yeah. Like it was basically a – um, uh, a sky like sort of at night and then, fast mo- like time lapse photography of clouds and mountains and then just a really bad logo and a bad I mean, logo which I guess was appropriate for the time but it was just really really yeah. bad I, I'm trying to picture as we watched it like what a 15 year old boy would like about the show and it's like I can't I mean it, it's good it's definitely good it's a good drama yeah. But I don't – I can't imagine like watching this at 15 and being like, hell yeah. Like, well, yeah, I feel good enough about this to be called – say I'm watching women's television every five minutes. Yeah, <laughs> that every every commercial break you have to imagine I was told twice, you're watching Lifetime, the network for women. And that was the intonation. I remember it had that kind of vaguely judgmental tone like you realize you're watching a channel for women. <laughs> That was the exact intonation of that it. That should have been the tagline. <laughs> yeah. You realize you're watching a network for women. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's strange because I was also watching, you know, Star Trek The Next Generation and The Simpsons. And I was watching – I just liked good things. Right. And there was something to me – and I know that the, the – the tag on this show for people, because a lot of people made fun of it when it came out, that it was just like a bunch of yuppies and their problems. But it was to me, like, I think I've, it felt sincere in the sense that uh, it felt like I'd never seen a show that was like adults being like scared about things. Well, that was that's interesting that you say that. And I, I think that's a good point because there was that moment where Elliot is thinking about quitting the job at uh, a DAA. And his wife, who's has health problems, has yeah. cancer, and he's saying he's up late and he's looking at insurance bills or whatever, and he's saying, "I know that this is like scary, or I know this might be a bad idea, but I'm thinking about quitting, and I, and I think we can like cover the private taking the insurance private, 
you know, yeah. make it not rather than being covered by the company. I was like, wow, I don't know. I don't think I've ever heard that's such a specific, you know, a real yeah. life, a real life thing for sure. But yeah, and then but then her response is a little bit weird too, where it's like, that's not selfish or whatever. You you should do it, but at the same time, it's like. Yeah. If you really, I mean, like, if you're having mounting huge medical bills, maybe just, like, I don't know, stick it out for, like, a, a six months. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing with the arc of their story is in the first two years, when the show starts, Elliot and his wife, who I, th- I believe the actress who plays Elliot's wife in real life is married to Ken Olin, who plays Michael. Whoa. I don't know. That, yeah. Did they meet on the set? I don't think so. Dish that gossip, boy. Yeah. <laughs> well, because I think there's some show in the past decade that I didn't see. It might have been uh, some show on ABC, like Brothers and Sisters. Is that a show? Mm, Something yeah, like probably. that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that I think Ken Olin was on. I think she was on and they played like husband and wife or something. But I, the arc of this show was that when the show starts, Elliot – they have a bad marriage. He's like cheated on her and he's irresponsible, but he's like, everybody likes him because he's like a goofy guy, but he's like a, in a bad, he's like bad to her. And over the course of the first two seasons, they get divorced. They split up. Whoa. And then there's a point where he realizes he loves her. They get back together. And right after that, she finds out she's got cancer. And it's one of those things where it's he. I remember there's a part where he was like glad that they got back together before the cancer sure. happened, so, so that she didn't scene. feel like he was doing it just for that. So I think some of that scene was maybe loaded with the backstory of that he feels like he's being bad again, but she's like, "This isn't bad. Like this is just you trying to." But she should be like, well, she should be like, it what? is bad, but it's not bad. It's not like, it's not like, bad like you cheating on me. <laughs> yeah, but like, I understand what you're saying, but no, like, don't, yeah. don't quit your job right now, you know? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe that's just me being, uh, like, a very sensible, like, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, I, you know, jobs suck, but yeah. Come on, bro. And I when I, and maybe it's gotten worse. Uh, I think healthcare has gotten worse since then. Oh yeah, then. probably that so might be another thing. But but then that's sort of taken out of the equation. Where at the end, uh, he gets he, uh, he's fired. He's fired, but they give him uh, six months of yeah health healthcare until he he's until he gets a job. I love that. People listening are probably loving the healthcare. Oh, the healthcare debate but, has never been hotter. But the end of the episode, basically, what happens is uh, he's thinking of quitting. Uh, Gordon Greco, Miles, uh, whatever his real name is, uh, tells Michael to fire, to fire uh, his best his friend, best friend yeah. who they used to run an agency together. And, uh, and basically, um, uh, Greco says, uh, w- when the offer is given that they could be taken over by Minnesota, uh, brands, he mm-hmm. says, no, definitely not. There's no interest in it w- yeah. whatsoever. And then uh, Bob Spano, Spano Robert, Sp- Mr. Ro- Robert, Mr. Spano. Robert Spano, um, comes and talks to talks to Michael again. We don't hear the conversation, but we then see Michael talk to Elliot about it and say, "You know, there's going to be a hostile takeover by Minnesota." Yeah. So uh, Michael fires his best friend, but it's part of setting up a it's a gambit of like uh, Michael's going to Michael and Elliot are going to try to. Be part of this hostile takeover of DAA and and basically put them in charge. Yeah. Now I, I now I don't know anything about business or about yeah. hostile takeovers, but 
How would him getting fired help anything? I think him getting fired only – it would be one of those things where it's like prove your loyalty by killing your best friend. And so Michael is able to in the next episode operate – Oh, sort of get him off his back a little yeah, bit. Yeah, because it's like, well, I proved my loyalty to you by doing this. So you're not going to suspect that I'm part of this hostile takeover. Um Wow. Yeah. That's the Tower of Zenith. Zenith. That is. That's the Zenith Tower. I'd say the go-between is a better title than the Tower of Zenith. I mean... Not I just never it, felt so exotic before. The Tower of Zenith is definitely more ominous and, and The go-between is more on the no, more descriptive yeah, of the episode. Yeah, the Tower of Zenith, if I watched it, I'd be like, what are they talking about? Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I don't know what it means. Um, Here are the, the... So I, I said I wrote so little. This yeah. is the, the... I wrote four things. Okay. One is... Bob Spano. Yeah. I'm think? amazed now that I think about it that no one called him Bobby in the whole episode. <laughs> they had that on the table. I, I I guarantee there must have been, when they were outlining, like, here's the breakdown of the names, <laughs> they must have, I bet the guy whose job it was to go through and replace substitutions, Bobby was definitely an option. He could and have done produ- Robbie, too. Robbie and Bobby. And the producers must have just been like, no, no. Mr. Spano would never no one would ever Mr. call him Robert that. Spano. It ruins the, the mythos of the character. Um, and one of the other things was just a specific that uh, Miles said, which are clients are not part of the process, which was his sort of Machiavellian. His. Mm-hmm. It was just very Don Draper. That's true. And I was thinking about that, too, because yeah. in recent episodes, uh, you see that Don Draper, he sort of like shuts down yeah. the, the client. And the other two ones are specifically about clothing. Yeah. One was I wrote suspenders, which was that Michael was wearing these weird suspenders that were leather, sort of like crosshatched. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I was just thinking, like, that doesn't look comfortable. And... It doesn't look practical. Like, I don't get suspenders in general. I don't get them, but especially, like, leather. Because suspenders should be, like, like flexible. (laughs) I I don't know. That just really struck me as weird. And then I wrote the vest shirt, which... The vest shirt... um, Which we probably had a two-minute conversation about that. The vest shirt is amazing. Uh, Elliot, who... Elliot has... uh, Is the quirky... Uh, I always give the show slightly the benefit of the doubt with the jokes that they write for Elliot that Elliot is supposed to be like the quote unquote funny guy in the office, but that he's not really supposed to be that funny. Right. This wasn't a particularly jokey episode, but I, I feel like I have a memory of at least one episode where like Elliot would be the guy who would imitate rap music by doing the, oh, oh, doing that, like, uh, that, that <laughs> noise, fat that fat boys thing that people used to do in the eighties. Um, which you did very well, by the way. Yeah, thank you. Um, but I feel like the uh, the costume choices for Elliot are always like I'm goofy. Yeah, he wears very loud ties, and he always has a pin, on, like a brooch, almost. Like, I don't feel like I ever saw an adult who dressed like that when I was looking around. I mean, I was in the Midwest. Uh, I grew up in Missouri, but I don't feel like I ever saw, even on other shows, people who were yeah, dressed I mean, the like only that. thing I could quite relate it to is like Will Smith and Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, like that loud. And, yeah. And the shirt you, was like, it looked like if you took a, a pink dress shirt and then cut off the arms to make it a vest, but then sewed on black sleeves yeah. onto it. But he was also, so he was wearing that and then he was deciding which tie, what to tie wear, goes with, like What tie goes with a pink Black sleeved shirt. Yeah, and if they hadn't made it, the, like a lot of the conversation was about him finding a tie. Like they went with a black tie, which I think was the only tie that could have gone with it, right? I mean, honestly, I don't know because we—I don't think we saw him. Wear, did we see him wearing that ensemble later? 
No. If, they, if they had just not mentioned it, because he was like, you know, when I used to work at our thing, I'd grab a tie real quick and run out, but now it's taking me forever to decide. Basically saying, I don't like going to work anymore. Yeah. And uh, But it's like, if they hadn't given them that shirt in that scene, I probably wouldn't have noticed it. But because they were specifically talking about clothing, they were yeah. really calling it out. And you noticed he had an elephant, an upside-down elephant pin? I think he was wearing an upside-down elephant pin, and he was wearing a, a tie with yellow sort of... Tropical animals yeah. or something, I think. Just, yeah. Chill out, bro. And you were saying, while we were watching that's like... That's the equivalent of when we watch Mad Men now, of being like, oh, people didn't... Did they actually wear that or whatever, you know? But in this one, I'm like... Yeah. It was made in the time. I don't know if... It does feel to me like if you just imagine they keep making Mad Men up until... And it goes up until the 90s and gradually like they write out characters. Don Draper gets written out in the late 70s. Right. But they, like if it was a show like ER where you just by the time you get to the end of it, none of the original actors are in it. You could imagine that the costume design would... This would be what the 90s would look like. Yeah, totally. Uh and yet, I don't think it was considered over the... I don't think at the time anyone was like, whoa, look what they're wearing on 30-something. I think I just had a, 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 that thought. Yeah. I, I don't know if... This, is this a thought? I don't know All what right. a thought is. But it, it's interesting because you were just saying the 90s. When they're meeting with Bob Span, Dr. Robert Spano... At the dinner, they're talking about what the 90s are going to be about yeah. and all the 90s things. And, yeah. and then in the thousands, you or in the 90s, you always hear about the millennium. Now, I think nobody knows what to call things. So you yeah. don't hear anybody say like the 2000s. The, teeny, the teenies. Like nobody. Am I wrong? That people. I haven't heard anyone talk about this decade. Yeah, because I think that the it's te- just I'm, hard to say. I just came up with that I'm going to call it the teenies. The teenies. That we're currently in the teenies. It, it, it's just like, but even if like if if you Google that, you f- I feel like you get a lot of wrong stuff. Yeah, you'd yeah, absolutely. I mean, but then what are the? And then we're back to the twenties. The twenties is fine, Ugh. but right now nobody's talking about the decade because everybody's afraid to call it something. Because what we were people really going to call it the aughts? And and what are we? I call it the Audis a few times. I think yeah, the uh, the audio. It awards. sounds more like it does sound more like an award. Yeah. than a decade. Like I want an Audi. I think that's a thought. I think I just had a thought. Yeah. The teenies. What's another word for it? What the would teens? Be a, I mean... The teens. Because that's already a thing. Like, people like, talk about the teens. And they also, the to, like, teens the feels like the past. You know, like, it doesn't sound like a futuristic thing. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just saying, guys, you know, tweet tweet out what are the teens. Just tweet that. In uh, Yeah. In the middle of my... Uh, buried in my Paul Dooley uh, IMDb... Feed uh, the day this podcast goes live. I'm gonna <laughs> tweet out something. Hashtag, hashtag Paul Dooley. Hashtag Paul Dooley. Hashtag what? What are the teens? What are the teens? What are the teens? We don't know. I mean, we thought we'd be living in the millennium, but we don't know. Yeah, we don't know what to call it. It's just, and I think that was a big thing in the '90s or and the '80s. Like, hey, it's the '80s, or hey, it's the '90s. Yeah. I was saying, hey, it's the 90s up until a couple of years ago. Hey. I never got out of the 90s. It is the 90s. Yeah. Um, so the, uh, this show, I feel like it's it sort of um, like as where, where um, Mad Men is now, the late 60s sort of crossing over to the yeah. 70s. This is where that is too, the 80s crossing yeah, over to the 90s. That this episode opens with a montage where we see the uh, 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 printing out of a report and it's the 1990 like acquisitions report. 
Oh, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't even understand what was happening yeah, in that moment because there was a lot of technical, a lot of technology that I just sort of a lot of technology that no longer exists. Obsolete printers. Um, yeah, yeah, just a lot of stuff that doesn't exist anymore. Thinking back to this decade thought, it just occurred to me that when we had the '90s, one way that we knew that it was different from the 1890s was that was referred to as the gay 90s. Oh, was it? Yeah, the 1890s was always referred to as the so gay when 90s. Were like, it's the 90s, right? Are you talking about the gay 90s or the <laughs> no, the current 90s, not the 1890s? Wait, why were they called the gay 90s? I think because they were like a, everyone was everyone was having a great time. See, they were riding think, like big uh, penny farthing bicycles and stuff. But think about this: you, we got the gay 90s. Yeah, skip three decades, then then we have the Roaring 20s. I don't even. Then besides yeah, that, no nothing. one knows what no. those first two decades are. It's an awkward thing that happens. Every hundred years, the first two decades, people get real excited at the very beginning because they say turn of the century. Yeah. But once once you can't say that anymore. It takes you 20 years to get into the new century. Yeah. We're in the middle of a dead period. This period sucks. I wonder if the new 20s will be roaring. I mean, they might be get back to gay. I don't know. Who knows? We don't know. Yeah. Um, Another – I mean, looking at – the other thing that was that was really apparent in this episode was, just, as we said before, whenever two characters were in a scene where one character was going to tell somebody something else, uh, we would know it. Like Bob Spano would sit down with uh, Michael Stedman and he would say, Michael, I want to – I've asked you here for a reason. And then there would be like a solid three or four minute scene that would end with like him telling him the reason. Yeah, well, it was also weird because I – so he, he sits him down for a reason. The reason is to say that we want to take over uh, yeah. a DAA. And I knew immediately when they sat down. Yeah. And then even when he – He says, we no longer want uh, to be a client of DAA. And he's like – I was like, you're firing us? <laughs> you know, like – Like he still didn't get any of the subtext that's been happening for yeah. the full episode. I feel like that's – Rarely in TV. I, I mean, I guess you're ahead of it sometimes, but this is like it seems like a well-written. But show. let me ask you this, because sometimes, like, I know people will look at older, like everything's getting faster. Like when I, I'm faster now than I was ten years ago. Like, uh, I remember watching the movie Memento and feeling and having the realization that oh, there's going to come a point where they're going to make a movie like this that I'm not going to be able to follow. Uh-huh. Like uh, 20 years from now, whatever the new memento is, I'll just be 20 minutes and I'll be like, I can't follow it. Right. It's too fast. Right. And when you watch – like old movies would have things like we want to show an establishing shot of a building, see the guy arrive in his car, get out of the car and go in the building. That's how you know he's in the building. Sure. Now you'll have just cut to the inside a different building and everyone knows. But no, I, I totally agree. I feel yeah. like I definitely like editing is happening. It's faster. We have shorter attention spans. But they set up in the first scene, like Bob likes you. Like yeah, they're talking about him the whole time. Like uh, I'm finally getting to meet Bob. You know, yeah. during the dinner, they're, they, he wanted you to come out here. He literally the other Bob's assistant has drinks with him and says. We, he says we, to him basically that we want you to be yeah. involved with something. Like, he, and then he flies him out to Minneapolis. And then when he says, you know, uh, we don't want to be a client of your agency anymore. And And in that moment, Michael Stedman must think like, did he fly me out here after all of this to fire us? Yeah. Like, yeah, it's a real paranoid. 
I feel like in order to make that moment work, the character has to be incredibly paranoid. Yeah, or a more like a, or, or, or an idiot, a, or a total moron idiot. But he doesn't seem like either. Yeah, I think that's just that's why they didn't win that one Emmy, or I don't know. I think they did win tons of. Emmys. I think they won they won best drama their first year, and then it was we we've already given it to them, so we'll just nominate you the next three years. Right? Why did they? Well, come on, guys. Why did they do that? Um, but that that's nitpicking because I I, I yeah. mean it is it is really good writing. It's just that it was I was like I'm ahead of this. Come I on. feel like the I feel like the acting really even even the moments that maybe feel a little bit. On the nose, writing wise, I feel like the actors are all really natural. Even even a character like Miles Rentel, who's very stylized in some ways as a character, still feels like uh, it's such a, a subtle. There's so much subtlety. Even even though when, as you pointed out, when the character is introduced, there's a series, and this wasn't the first time this character was seen on the show. But there are literally like three introductory shots of Miles Rentel. Just, that are just scored with music. Yeah, they sort of like have the camera sort of pan around him to reveal his face, and every the first two time, the first time you're like, oh, that's Miles, and then when it happened again, I thought it was a different character, not because he looked different, but because of the way they shot it, like it felt like here's a new character. It's almost it almost looks like it would be the promo for like. A special, like if Miles Rentel was going to do like a concert or stand-up special, you'd have like a shot of him, and then another shot, and then another shot. That would be amazing if they did now, right now, have that character do a stand-up special on TV. Now that char- now the character of Miles Rentel did appear. Uh, um, Edward Zwick, the, the co-creators of the show. The, one of them, I don't know what else he's done other than TV shows with Edward Zwick. There's a I think Marshall Herskowitz and Edward Zwick were the show co-creators. I may be mangling those names. Uh, Edward Zwick directed Glory, the movie mm-hmm. Glory, and a bunch of other movies. He directed a movie called The Siege. I don't know if you've ever seen that Denzel Washington movie that came out pre-9-11 and was really controversial at the time. I didn't see it till after 9-11, but it's spooky. The things it was controversial for, it would no longer be controversial for because it's basically about um, – Muslim terrorists blow up a bus, I think in New York City, and kill a bunch of people. And the country goes apeshit and builds a bunch of camps and rounds up Muslims. Whoa. And, uh, and it's all about American overreaction to uh, a Muslim terrorist uh, attack. And it's like a cautionary movie that – I mean like Edward Zwick, the guy who co-created 37, is like a sensitive filmmaker. He's right. not like, oh, I'm going to make a, you know, a racist pot boiler right. or something. But it got all these protests when it came out from like Muslim American groups saying this movie's dangerous. It's offensive. Why do the terrorists have to be Muslims when uh, Oklahoma City was like white supremacists uh, or white militia? But after nine eleven, when you watch this movie, you're like, oh right, he was like saying like this is what America would do if um, if something horrible happened. Now here's the thing: he yeah. was either just he knew he like he just was on the cusp and was really smart or yeah, he he, he was, had or he was in on it he was in on it <laughs> that's what i'm trying to say um, uh, we're both uh, zwickers yeah uh, th- those are truthers who have a specific emphasis on ed zwick the co-creator of 30 something hashtag ed hashtag zwick. zwicker zwicker <laughs> hashtag zwicker um but they created another show called once and again that was like the turn of of the century uh, it was a, another show that was basically forty something. 
It was it and was at, sir, at the at the end of the gay nineties. At the end of the of the no the regular nineties. Okay, sorry. Um, uh, the nondescript nineties. A hundred years later than I thought. A hundred years after the gay nineties, they created a show called Once and Again, that was about um, two divorced people with kids who fall in love with each other. It was kind of about like the blending of their families and the dealing with their ex wives. And the main character on that show was an architect. And at the end of I think the first season of that show. They hire a new client and it was Miles Drentel. And they basically played out – now he was – he'd become a venture capitalist. He'd left Did, advertising. Wait, is that his character's name or just – It was Miles Drentel. It Whoa. was the same character. That, wow. And it was – and I I went berserk. You flipped your shit. Because basically I was like I already like the show. It's from the creators of 30-something. And then – you know, it would be like if. Did you keep a VHS tape of that episode? No, I don't have. I don't have any VHS tapes. I think they released them on DVD, but I don't own them. It was a good show. Uh, it felt very much like picking up with the, the themes of like, okay, what's it like ten years later? What's the? But it would be like if imagine if The Simpsons had been canceled, and then ten years later, Matt Groening created another show, and at the end of the first season, like Mr. Burns showed up in it. You'd be, and it was all new characters, right? And then you got like, oh wow, they've like, or Krusty the Clown or something. Like he was on uh, on Futurama, right? Yeah. Um, And so, but they sort of played out a similar arc on Once and Again, where he, he, there was a pair of uh, like the architects, like the the main character had a partner. And they had ran an architecture firm, and they had similar kind of personalities. And Miles Rentel did the same fucking thing, which was he was like he liked the one who was like Michael, and he hated the one who was like Elliot, and he like played them against each other. That's really. Uh, and then he died. Miles Rentel died. He didn't have the cell phone to stop the heart attack. Uh, he didn't. Cell phone technology had changed. Wow, that's crazy. I um, wonder if the makers were like nobody will notice this, or if they're just like it works. I think they were just like I – th- I think it was deliberate. They had to have known. And I think they were showing like this guy has a – you know, like I think that's a thing. Like you have patterns in your life that like repeat. And I think they were just like I bet this guy always like seeks out these – Wow, yeah, totally. I wonder did they – I mean it would make sense if they did a 50-something after that. I would love it if they would do that, I, but they can't. And then they'd have to bring back Miles Rintel as a ghost. <laughs> they would be like how, when you get older, you start having dementia. Yeah, uh, and you, <laughs> you, you like well, yeah. If it's flashbacks or just yeah, dementia, like he's just, yeah, like you see things. That would be a, a great. I the thing is, I I'm a, it's occurring to me now that like, um, I never had anyone to talk to about um, when when I got excited about Miles Rintel. <laughs> Even like I was watching once and again with one of my best friends, and when I was like, "Oh," and he liked that show, and then I was like, "Oh, Miles Rentel," I was like, "Don't know, don't know." So, uh, but aren't there? I mean, did you ever venture onto uh, venture onto message boards or? No, I never. Well, I mean, when I watched it the first time, it would have been just a few years pre-internet. I, the only way I, I would have had to be in the the Pentagon. Uh-huh. On ARPANET or something, right? Chatting about I missed all those. But what about when when, when once uh, again was on once again? I don't recall venturing out. I think I had already sort of established like a solitary rhythm uh-huh. that it wasn't something that that this is just for you. Yeah, like this is just for me and whatever women are watching. <laughs> Wait, it was once and again on the? No, it wasn't. It was it was on ABC. They were both ABC shows. Uh, yeah, but there is it is so weird to me to I don't know why I was so drawn to this show other than the fact that it felt I feel like there's shows that have been that have 
taken their cue from this show. But I don't. I was thinking watching this. I don't know that there was a show like this before this. It's it's funny because you say that, and and on Wikipedia it mentions uh, that the, you know it's groundbreaking show. It changed television a lot because of the sort of the the tone of it and yeah and the characters and and the, they said how it was such an inspiration to shows and and it mentioned Seinfeld and then its example is because in Seinfeld they talk a lot that's like basically what it said on Wikipedia I'm, I'm, I might don't be misquoting any, it slightly but that's I don't see much. any I don't see any Seinfeld it uh, said it said because Seinfeld's about <laughs> it was a lot of people talking it but, was about people in their 30s talking about things yeah and I was like uh, I think I mean a, it was a group of friends no I don't see it at all because there were, I guess there were, there were four friends but I, even then it's like I mean there's six friends on this and I mean we only we didn't see in most of the, we didn't see uh, Ellen or Melissa or Gary in this episode, but we I, saw, I like that. I like. Yeah. I mean, it's cool that uh, that was one of the cool things about the show was that when you watch a new episode, um, it it you didn't know what kind of episode you were going to get, and then sometimes it would be like, oh, it's not my favorite character, but then you, the next week you could get something that would be like Michael's cousin Melissa was a photographer, um, and you get episodes that have to do with like her life and what and her circle of people. And then sometimes they'd be in the background of another episode. They'd have a one little scene or something. There, there was one mention in the Wikipedia about I don't remember the character's name, but this is a thirty-something a spoiler that they didn't tell me was a spoiler while reading it. But they were talking about how one character dies, yeah, in a car crash. But then it says he dies in a car in like a chain reaction car crash, and then in parentheses it says like, <laughs> which is. Ironic because this character hated cars. He only used bikes. <laughs> <laughs> I love Wikipedia. Oh, that is so ironic. Uh, is that ironic well, that he died from a car crash because he hated cars? <laughs> what was cool about when they did that? I do remember – I knew about that before I watched the show because it was such a big deal what they did, which was – I knew that there was a show – that 37 was a show and that a big deal on it was that Nancy has cancer. Because Nancy's is that Nancy the that woman? was Nancy was the blonde uh, Elliot's, Elliot's wife. wife, and because that character had been through a lot, and I think the show handled cancer in a non. Uh, I don't think it did the cliched things that like movies of the week had done with cancer. I think you would check in on her every now and then. I do remember there's one really good episode where she became great friends with this um, woman that she met in like a cancer support group. And the woman was like a free spirit. She was like, uh, you know, tells it like it is. Like, I don't care. Like, don't let your family. And at first it was like this breath of fresh air because it was like, she's the only one who gets me. My friends don't understand what I'm going through. But it was also one of those things where like her new friend was like kind of a selfish, like used as a license to like be an asshole. Right, right. right. And it was like the way they dealt with it was like didn't feel like it was like tug at your heartstrings sort of – um, even though it's a sh- that the show is known for that sort of thing, where like you have a sensitive moment and the j- sensitive early '90s underscoring happens, but in terms of the way the plots would progress, I felt like they were very non-sentimental. And we fo- so we followed Nancy's cancer plot for like at least a season and a half, and then there was an episode where you were going to find out. I think like they referenced like her second look surgery was coming up. And so you were going to find out whether or not they'd like gotten it or not. And it was that episode where she got the good news that uh, she was n- – that the cancer was like 
in remission that she was going to be all right. And that was the same episode where Gary got where Gary died. And it was like such like a, a sucker punch because all the characters were like well liked. Right. You liked all of these characters. And you'd like braced yourself for one character to maybe or maybe not die, but you're like ready for it. And then I remember the episode the, the week after that was such a dark episode. There was like a whole I know it sounds like a whole episode devoted to the the death of this character, but there was like an episode that really like I would say it would be comparable to there's a very famous buff spoiler alert if you haven't seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I haven't, but I'm fine. But all right, Buffy's mom dies in one of the episodes. Oh, never mind. Fuck oh yeah. no. But it's like a famous episode because right. it like really like just didn't didn't shy away from how awful it was. Right, right, right. And 30 something did that first Buffy fans. Uh they had an episode where it was just like unbelievably dark and sad. And it was just like all of these characters having to deal with the fact that – and it wasn't one of those – it always bothers me when like characters die on TV shows and then other characters get over it really quick or they only react to it in ways that are like serving the plot. Right. But they don't like – there are some – because like there are, there are times where I feel like a character dies on a TV show and I feel like that's it. Like this other character is ruined. Like you can't ever – you can't be happy for unless you do a time jump. You can't be happy for three seasons. Right. Yeah. Um, and then the character will be like make a joke or something. I'll be like, it's fine if they want to do it where it's like post traumatic shock or something. But they'll genuinely like so many shows. I feel like don't really and they kind of did that near the end of the series. So they really made it have the weight of like, well, as things on the show are winding down, we never re- you never really see the full impact. Yeah, it never like the show never gets over it. It's right. sort of like you had half a season left or something, and they were just like the last half of the season is sort of defined by the fact that now these people know that this can happen. Like wow. they've, you know. Well, and I also I, I don't know if this is true, but that reminds me that in on the famous Wikipedia entry of this, mm-hmm. that they say that this was inspired or slightly inspired by the Big Chill. Yeah, which is about that specifically, and I don't know if that's true, but I think in the. F- I, in my recollection, because I, I bought all these DVDs and I have not watched – like this is the first time I've watched something off of the DVD. Like I'd never seen like what the menus looked like. How anything. long have you had the DVDs? A few years. <laughs> but I like having them on my shelf. They as make a, you feel good. Yeah. It's just like a totem in my apartment. It's like I watch those shows and I like them. Yeah, sure. Of course. Um, it's it's more like a piece of like an art object that I have that tells the story of yeah, things I like. Yeah, and it's I better liked. to have a bunch of discs that are gonna be obsolete than having a poster or something. Like that. Yeah, <laughs> than having a giant thirty something poster on my you wall. Should have like a huge like in uh, standees of the characters. Yeah, yeah, exactly cardboard. But I did try to watch the first season when I first got when it first started coming out on DVD, and the early episodes of Thirty Something I think are markedly more difficult to watch again because I think they tried early on to be funnier and quirkier as a show. Like you asked a question when we were watching the opening credits, there's a shot of Michael Stedman, uh, uh, dunking a basketball in what looks like a professional basketball yeah, game. Yeah. It like it's a full weird. on like, and you said, Oh, does one of the characters play basketball? And that is from a fantasy sequence that happens early on. I think in the show where he's, in, he's fantasizing, he's on the Lakers and they film an actual s- like uh, I think it's the Lakers. Um, that's a basketball team, right? I don't. I have um, no idea what you're talking. About. And uh, but there is a. They did a lot more. I feel like 
fantasy, a lot more stuff that like later shows like Ally McBeal would do that I'd never warmed to. And uh, yeah, where like I feel like in the early shows they would do things where it would like suddenly turn black and white and they'd be like in His Girl Friday or something and it would be like a goofy uh, cutaway to something. Or I remember there was one early episode that had like a big like wacky time lapse thing of like them trying to pack or unpack things or something. Uh-huh. And I didn't like that stuff. I liked it once it started getting a little bit heavier. Well, they sort of started figuring out what works for the show and yeah. realize, go delve into the characters more than yeah. have him be a, a fantasy basketball player on the New York Lakers. And yeah, all. but they loved that. They obviously loved that shot enough to keep it in the opening credits. Yeah, I, I thought that was really bizarre, especially the way that you just said it, that they'd keep that through the seasons. Yeah. Um, well, I, I uh, thank you for... Um, for introducing me to 30 something is there something that if if you wanted to usher fans into more 30 something sort of a message that you'd that you'd like to give to potential 30 something watchers i would say um i mean you could just look at the synopses and target the app any episode that has to do with michael and elliot and advertising and you could just watch that and it would be uh, an, an arc that you could follow and there would just be a lot of supporting characters that you w- would gradually, I think, understand like, oh, right. there's that's her friend, but you never, you know, never really does anything. But I mean, one, I feel like once this is one of those shows uh, that I feel like once it like it came out on DVD at the point where people stopped getting DVDs on Netflix and started streaming things. And I do feel like now that is the make or break for whether an old show gets seen now. Um, totally. Is if it becomes like a, a thing you could stream. I guess if you're on like Amazon Prime or one of those services that uh, you could get unlimited streaming of shows, you can watch it that way. What you're saying is buck the trend and watch 30-something. Yeah. I mean if, if you're a teenage boy out there in the Midwest and you want to see some adults who are reasonably well off – but still have problems like everybody else in the late 80s or early 90s. Um, or I would say, you know, uh, also maybe people, you know, Mad Men's going to come to an end in, you know, like a month or two, like uh, this season. And then there'll be a year before you get. If not more. If not more. Maybe, yeah, it could take a big break. Um, you know, why not fast forward a few decades and see what, uh, what kind of problems the, the Don Drapers and the Betty Drapers of the late 80s. Uh, have because it does function effectively as a period piece now. Yeah, totally. Um, and, I, and I think uh, the only difference—the only difference—if you were going to make this now as a period piece—is you would insert a few more lines, where it'd be like, "Well, we all know that Poppy Bush is going to win re-election, right?" Or you could say, "Like, oh, damn this, uh, this. Uh, we're, we're, we need windows to exist, you know, like when <laughs> Windows ninety-five. We need." When's that Windows 95 we've been hearing about finally going to come? You know, out? like, hey, Mikey, why, why you got a computer in your house? Yeah. Hey, hey uh, you got that Nintendo for your kid yet? Yeah. That type of thing. That would be good. Um, well, thank you so much. Is there anything that you uh, want to plug? or? Uh... Oh, I do want to, uh, we should say a drinking game for this one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's but it. it would just be for this episode. Uh, which would be Bob, Bob Spano. Anytime someone says Bob Spano. And, and, or Robert Spano or uh, Mr. Spano. Any variation on his name. And what would you drink? Um, what's a good... Oh, I don't drink. Um, but I feel like... 
What would be a good late eighties, early nineties drink? I feel like um, a wine cooler. Wine cooler, maybe some Bartles and James, Bartles uh, and James. wine coolers. Um, I feel like um, Evian water would have been a relatively Ooh, new yeah. and trendy yeah. thing. Um, I feel like some bottles of, of Evian. And I'd say, yeah, so if you're a kid, a teen in the Midwest watching this, get some, some Evian water. Down some Evian. I, also, anytime you hear the thriller music, because it does come in very deliberately throughout the episode. Yeah. Like, it's always, like, announces itself. Like, someone says something like, I just don't know. And then they'll they'll be like, there's that shot of, like, Elliot falls back on the bed. And it's very much like there's a scene and then, like, a composed shot. Like, yeah. hit your mark. Timothy Westfeld, like, lie back, and then the camera will move away, and the... I'm going to play that as we... When we... After you plug something, and I, we say goodbye, we'll both put our heads back on the couch, and then I'm going to make sure that that music plays. I'm going to see if I can find my cassette tape, and I'll uh, I'll email you the cassette audio. Uh, the MP, uh, convert that into... <laughs> an, it'll be, like, a my... warped... You'll hear all the rewind things from when you had to re, re-listen to specific parts of the of the themes. Yeah. Um, um, so where can people find you? Um, people can find me... Uh, I'll be... Today... The day that this goes live, or hopefully the day that people are listening to this, I'm going to be tweeting at Connor Ratliff, C-O-N-N-O-R-R-A-T-L-I-F-F. Going to be tweeting out some Paul Dooley credits. Yeah, so either follow him or, or just check that... Search the hashtag Paul Dooley. Um, and what was the other hashtag you'll be hitting? Uh, um, um, Zwickers. Zwickers and what's what's the teens? And what, what, and are the teens? what are the teens? What are the what are the teens? <laughs> and um, I guess the two uh, you can see me in the Stepfathers or Stone Cold Fox uh, on Friday nights at UCB Theater in New York. Uh, and I guess the two things uh, that I would plug would be uh, my web series. I'm too fragile for this. Uh, and also, I I ran for president last year on the Chris Gethard show. That's right. Uh, but I didn't win. Um, but you can see my campaign is archived for history online. They can, and that's going to be perhaps put in the national archives eventually. Yeah. We're negotiating with the national archives. Right. They won't return my emails, but that's, that's a good way to start the negotiation. Yeah. Um, and, but now I have a new goal, which is I'm going to win at least one gold medal in the 2016 summer Olympics. So you can follow me at Ratliff 2016 gold on Twitter. And, uh, I assume that's an attainable goal. Yes, absolutely. And you haven't picked, have you picked your event yet? No, I haven't. I tried, um, I'm not an athlete and I'm not good at sports. I can't ride a bike. Um, actually when you mentioned Gary, how he hates bikes made me a little bit scared. No, he likes bikes. He he likes bikes, hates cars. (laughs) I hate bikes. Uh, that's what scared me. I'm going to get run over by a bike. I don't think biking is in the Olympics. Yeah, there's biking, isn't there? I have no idea. I don't know. I honestly have no I idea. I genuinely – I think there is some kind of biking. But we can make sure – we know for sure in 2016 you won't be biking. There's almost no way. I'd have to be so bad at everything. Biking other- doesn't exist. If it did, then uh, Armstrong, Lance Armstrong would definitely have a, a medal, an Olympic medal. I feel like I've seen montages of Olympic things happening that included bikers. All right. I'm, I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't care enough to look it up, but I think you're wrong. I think that's a good post-podcast activity for people to t- <laughs> look up bikes in the Olympics and find out. For, like That's like one of those things they used to do at the end of TV shows where they'd say, go to your local library and read more about right. it. You, the more you know. Or the, yeah. What, yeah. The, so <laughs> the more you know. And so hopefully and potentially you'll be winning. Uh, we can see you winning the Olympics in 2016. Yeah. And follow follow you your uh, – you attaining that goal on yeah, and then once I'm done, I'm out. I don't want to do any athletics after that. That's I think that's a good way to end it is with a gold medal, at least one. 
Um, well, thank you so much, Connor. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be on this. It's an honor to have you. I'd like to thank my guest, Connor Ratliff, for coming over and talking about 30-something with me. It was uh, fun to be introduced into a new show and watch one of the 50 best TV Guide episodes ever in the history of the universe of television in the world. Uh, make sure to uh, follow me on Twitter at Craig Rowan. And, you know, Connor's going to be tweeting all day the day this comes out about Paul Dooley, which is sounds really exciting. And uh, and become a fan on Facebook. Uh, it's that episode. Uh, leave a comment on iTunes and just just do stuff. Just have a good time. Be yourself. Don't don't worry. Don't stress. Just relax. Just do some get a massage. Also get a massage. That's what I want you to do. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back next week with a new episode. Have a great night and an early mañana. Adios, amigos. Mm-hmm.